0: September 24, 1948, Buenos Aires, Argentina. Cipriano Reyes, the former leader of the Argentine Labor Party, looked up from the floor of the jail cell. He was confused to see the policemen standing over him.
1: To Reyes' shock, the officers started to accuse him of conspiring with a U.S. diplomat to do the unthinkable, murder President Juan Perón.
0: Reyes knew this must have been a mistake. Just three years earlier, in 1945, he had helped orchestrate the groundswell of popular support that had saved Perón.
1: Sure, in the three years since, he and Perón had disagreed on some policies. Reyes even called a strike in response to Perón meddling in Labour Party affairs. But assassination? Never.
0: The police demanded to know details of the plot. Reyes insisted that there was no plot, but they weren't going to take no for an answer.
1: His captors hooked Reyes up to an electric shock machine, determined to get a confession out of him one way or another.
0: As the electricity seared through his body, Cipriano Reyes learned what happened when your loyalty was called into question. You were either with Juan Perón or an enemy of the state.
1: Welcome to Dictators, a Spotify original from ParCast. I'm Richard.
0: And I'm Kate. You can find all episodes of Dictators and all other Spotify originals from ParCast for free on Spotify.
1: This season of Dictators, we're exploring the reigns of 20th century Caudillos, Fulgencio Batista of Cuba, Juan Perón of Argentina, and Francisco Franco of Spain. Today, we conclude our discussion on Juan Perón.
0: Last week, we explored Perón's rise from ambitious infantry officer to champion of the working class, and how after years of pulling the strings as the power behind the throne, he officially became president in 1946.
1: This week, we'll look at Perón's nine years as president, including the rise of his wife, Evita. We'll see how his interest in social welfare reforms waned as his cult of personality grew, And his regime became increasingly corrupt and repressive. And we'll explore how Peronism never left Argentina.
0: We'll have all that and more coming up. It
1: feels like we're all being told to go on this diet. Take that supplement. Ozempic will give you depression. But you know what'll cure that? Weed. Or you could try to balance your hormones. At Science Versus, we're like, what the f*** is going on? Get the crap online and listen to Science Verses. Just the facts. Oh, and a bunch of stupid jokes. What is a ghost's favorite fruit? Booberries.
0: That's Science vs. New season out on Spotify soon.
1: When 51 year old Juan Domingo Peron was elected in February 1946, he was Argentina's first legitimately elected leader in nearly two decades. And it was all thanks to Perón's ability to shore up important alliances.
0: In order to achieve his victory, Perón spent years methodically building his base of power as a member of the ruling military junta. Not only did he gain friends among the military elite, but as Secretary of Labor and Social Welfare, he was able to court the working class with his pro-labor policies.
1: But not everyone loved Juan Perón. Between his affinity for European Nazis and fascists and his cultivation of a cult of personality, Perón's opponents across the political spectrum were horrified by his electoral win.
0: Conservatives were disgusted that he'd enfranchised the country's uneducated poor. And the communists and socialists were furious that he'd stolen their base with his populist pandering.
1: But the ideological division wasn't just among Perón's enemies. The diverse coalition that brought him to power was also fractured, and he quickly realized that if he wanted to get anything done, he'd have to put an end to the infighting.
0: His first order of business was to dissolve all the political parties that had supported him and to consolidate them into the single party of the Argentine Revolution, which one year later would be renamed as the Peronist Party. Though Perón insisted that the party shared one set of values, in reality, it was mostly united behind its support for him.
1: Perón recognized that the rivalries among his uneasy coalition were exactly what he needed to retain power. As long as any rising stars within the party were fighting amongst themselves, Perón could rest easy at the top.
0: After his June 1946 inauguration, her own hit the ground running. He promised a five-year plan of social justice, economic independence, and national reconciliation after years of political turmoil. And with a Peronist congressional majority, he could make almost anything happen. But there was one small obstacle standing in his way, the judicial branch.
1: The courts were supposed to be apolitical. However, in the previous decade, the Supreme Court openly supported the military junta and approved the fraudulent elections that kept the junta in power.
0: Knowing this, Perón accused the Supreme Court of having broken its apolitical oath. His lackeys in the legislative branch quickly impeached the judges who weren't overtly Peronist.
1: Perón now had carte blanche to do whatever he wanted.
0: Perón took full advantage of his unchecked power. Within the first few years of his presidency, he achieved a number of labor and social welfare reforms.
1: He continued his campaign for workers' rights by raising wages, expanding job protections, and building schools and hospitals. And in 1947, he gave women the right to vote, dramatically expanding his voting base by doing so.
0: But his duties as president Juggling international politics and stimulating a struggling economy meant Perón could no longer devote all of his energy to keeping his supporters happy. He needed a representative on the ground. So the face of Perónism became his 27-year-old wife, Maria Eva Duarte, known commonly as Evita.
1: A former actress from a working-class background, Evita quickly became a galvanizing figure for the Peronists. The moment Peron took office, she began to represent herself as the patroness of the masses who had gotten him elected.
0: Evita made it her mission to help the country's poor and overlooked, founding the Eva Peron Welfare Foundation and virtually taking over the Ministry of Labor. She used both institutions to improve education, housing, and social welfare for women and children.
1: She traveled to regions of the country rarely visited by national politicians. Wherever she went, Evita spoke of her dedication to Perón and his dedication to the Argentine masses, especially those from the lower social classes. She said they were her children, and it was her duty to help her husband take care of them.
0: To many Argentines, Evita seemed like the reason Peronism worked. She was the guiding light who kept the president on track. And as long as she continued to deny any interests in power for herself, Perón was more than happy to allow her political star to rise.
1: But Evita was the only person Perón let get anywhere close to his level of power. Any deputy who got too popular or seemed too ambitious quickly fell out of favor. Even organized labor leaders who had worked with and backed Perón for years found themselves smeared and ousted if they criticized the president.
0: But that was nothing compared to what his political opponents faced. Though he had a clear majority, the opposition still did their best to obstruct his policies in Congress. To Perón, they were a total nuisance.
1: He started accusing opposition politicians of attempting to sabotage Argentina. He claimed his opponents wanted to destroy both him, Argentina's savior, and the working class. He warned the country that anyone who opposed him was a national threat.
0: To help with his opposition problem, Perón used Congress to his advantage. First, he got them to ban any political parties with real support. Then they passed the so-called Law of Disrespect, which essentially made it illegal to speak against a public official. But Perón didn't
1: stop there. He consolidated almost all of the media under government control, giving him an outlet for propaganda. And he sent the police and far-right militant groups to harass any that tried to defy him. Soon, political repression quickly expanded to violent suppression from Perón's supporters.
0: Perón himself never openly advocated for violence. Remembering how the Spanish Civil War brought destruction to the people, Perón wanted to avoid that. But that didn't mean he outright condemned the actions of his supporters, either.
1: Fearing assassination attempts, many opposition leaders began to seek political asylum in Uruguay. Those who didn't escape were arrested, tortured, and forced to confess to plots against Perón.
0: The suppression paid off. By 1949, Perón had kneecapped his opposition. The leaders who remained were ineffective and unable to organize. They were kept around simply as pawns to rally Perón's supporters behind common enemies.
1: More than halfway through his term, Perón had removed almost all obstacles from his path to absolute power. But there was still one big hurdle that kept Perón from sustaining it. The Constitution didn't allow Presidents to serve consecutive terms.
0: Perón knew it would look terrible if he came out in favor of rewriting the Constitution to do away with that stipulation. After all, a key component of his rise had been the pretense that he wasn't seeking power. Rather, he was merely doing what the people wanted. So
1: in a savvy political move, Perón declared before Congress his lack of interest in rewriting the Constitution. By bringing up an issue that no one had even thought of, He all but instructed his followers to solve the problem for him. Shortly thereafter, Peronists began proclaiming that the constitution was blocking the people's will to re-elect Perón and thus needed to be changed.
0: By March of 1949, a new constitution drafted almost exclusively by Peronists had been ratified. In addition to changing the rules about presidential terms, It also broadly expanded the powers of both the government at large and the president specifically.
1: It allowed for state intervention wherever it deemed necessary and gave the government power to go after anyone who opposed the vague Peronist ideals.
0: But as Peron consolidated his power, turmoil was on the horizon. Perón's attempts to transform Argentina into an economic powerhouse had run into trouble in the rapidly shifting global economy.
1: At first, Argentina's economy was growing. However, when Perón began to nationalize various industries, like railways, energy, and some banks, many foreign investors decided not to pour their money into Argentina.
0: Another problem was the fact that agricultural exports were decreasing due to a drought and falling market prices, and the country owed growing debt to U.S. banks.
1: By 1951, Argentina was on the road to an inflation crisis. Wages stagnated while prices on everything increased. As the economy worsened, unsanctioned strikes began to break out. And this time, they were targeted at Perón's regime.
0: With each passing day, the Peronist labor leaders attempted to ease tensions by towing the party line. But the people weren't buying it.
1: Peron blamed the economic problems on the United States. He claimed the U.S.'s unreasonable trade terms were the reason exports had declined and the surplus had turned into a deficit. But no amount of blame could end the strikes.
0: Peron began to worry. For the first time, simply telling the people what they wanted to hear might not solve everything. If he couldn't keep the economy afloat going into the upcoming 1951 election, his base might stay home, or even worse, turn against him.
1: Coming up, Perón loses his most valuable asset. Now back to the story.
0: In the middle of 1951, Juan Perón needed a miracle before the upcoming election. He may have stifled any meaningful opposition, but the struggling economy was hurting him with his working-class base.
1: Soon strikes began to break out, and no amount of deflection by Perón seemed to help him with his base. If something didn't change soon, he could lose his power.
0: As popular as she was, no one expected Perón's wife, Evita, to be his saving grace. Not even Perón.
1: On August 22, 1951, the Perón-affiliated National Workers Union held a massive re-election rally in Buenos Aires. An estimated 2 million supporters gathered to hear Evita speak.
0: By the end of her rousing speech, the crowds demanded that she run as Perón's vice president. Though there had been talk of this before now, both Perones refused to commit. Evita merely thanked her followers for their continued support.
1: When the president retook the microphone, however, the crowd turned against him. The masses demanded Evita, and they began chanting that they wouldn't leave until she had accepted the nomination.
0: Perone was stunned. As loyal as they were to him, it was his Evita they loved.
1: Despite being relegated to a supporting role, Aron knew he had nothing to fear from Evita's popularity because the couple knew something the public didn't. The first lady was dying from cancer.
0: The public had no idea that their patroness's health was rapidly deteriorating. And as hard as they tried to keep it a secret, when Evita became bedridden at the end of September, they knew they had to let the people know.
1: But the announcement was insidiously opportunistic. They cast Evita's failing health as a result of her sacrifice to the poor. Evita was so dedicated to the masses that she was literally dying because of the hard work.
0: On October 17, 1951, the anniversary of Perón's restoration, now called Loyalty Day, a frail Evita made her first appearance in two months. But her poor health didn't stop her from giving an emotional speech, calling on her supporters to die for their president. They joined her in chanting, my life for Perón.
1: The Perón's emotional manipulation worked. Less than a month later, Juan Perón won re-election in a landslide.
0: But as it turned out, getting re-elected was the last win Perón would have for a while.
1: With the election out of the way, he had to address the economic crisis. In February 1952, he announced austerity measures dressed up as economic nationalism. He mandated a two-year wage freeze and required that wheat and meat, Argentina's two major products, be largely reserved for exports.
0: He only managed to get away with these cuts because of Evita. Her followers were willing to give the president some leeway, knowing how much stress he was under, especially as her cancer worsened. Finally, on July 26, 1952, the beloved First Lady passed away.
1: But Evita's death wasn't just a personal tragedy. It was a political one. In the months that followed, Perón came to the realization just how much they loved her over him.
0: By that fall, even the labor organizations that she had galvanized were once again questioning Perón's economic policies. Perón tried to scapegoat a few members of his cabinet, taking the opportunity to remove some rising stars in his party. But by early 1953, the unrest had only grown.
1: Sensing Perón's newfound weakness, his political opponents got bolder and more outspoken. And some came to the conclusion that the only way to bring Perón down was through violence.
0: The situation reached a fever pitch on April 15, 1953, when Perón was giving a speech to his supporters at the Plaza de Mayo in Buenos Aires. As he was in the middle of blaming his enemies and outside forces for the economic crisis, two bombs went off in the square.
1: The attack immediately galvanized Perón and his followers. Feeding off the energy of the crowd, the angry president suggested that the perpetrators ought to be punished.
0: Though Perón stopped short of actually calling for violence, far-right militant groups needed no further encouragement. They descended upon the headquarters of the socialist, radical, and democratic national parties, looting and setting them on fire. And in a symbolic blow to the city's elite, they torched a storied social club.
1: In the wake of the destruction, the regime arrested as many opposition leaders as possible, blaming them for the entire incident. Meanwhile, the Peronist militants got off scot-free.
0: This new crackdown broke Peron's political opposition and freed the president up to refocus his attention on the economy. He made a series of deals with U.S. industrialists and foreign investors that broadly stabilized the inflation crisis. And with a good agricultural season, things started looking up for Perón.
1: For the first time in his political career, Perón was able to relax. He had managed to weather economic troubles and the loss of his beloved Evita. Everything he had set out to do, he had achieved. Perhaps he really was the godlike figure his supporters believed him to be.
0: Unfortunately, this overconfidence led the savvy politician to poke a bear that had previously been content to ignore him, the Catholic Church.
1: The Catholic Church had long been a powerful, if apolitical, force in Argentina. In fact, many church leaders supported Perón and stayed out of the political discourse during his first term. But that all changed in 1954.
0: In the fall of 1954, the Peronist Congress began debating bills to legalize divorce and prostitution. Peron's government had already removed several Saints' Days as public holidays. These initiatives were direct affronts to the Catholic Church. And soon, church leadership spoke out against these so-called attacks.
1: Suddenly, Perón's followers found themselves torn between their leader and their religion. Much of Argentina's lower class was devoutly Catholic, and they weren't sure they could choose Perón over God.
0: While Perón believed the choice seemed obvious, many didn't. So Perón decided to retaliate before the church's protests gained momentum.
1: In December 1954, he banned all public religious displays during the Christmas season. During this time, Perón's government also legalized prostitution and divorce and recognized the rights of children born out of wedlock. Finally, any Peronist with ties to the church was purged.
0: But Perón had picked a fight with an enemy who was stronger than he was. Many Argentines were more concerned with their eternal souls than their political identity. By May 1955, pro-Catholic marches had taken over the streets, and priests were preaching against the regime. In response,
1: Congress passed legislation that banned religious education in schools and denied the church any tax exemptions.
0: The Vatican decided to up the ante by doing the unthinkable they excommunicated Perón. This created a problem for the president. Argentina's constitution mandated that the president must be Roman Catholic, the country's official religion.
1: But as it turned out, the excommunication wasn't Perón's only problem. His feud with the church had emboldened his rivals and critics, including those within the military.
0: On June 16th, the same day that Perón was excommunicated, the Navy and Air Force attempted to stage a coup. During a pro Perón rally at the Plaza de Mayo, military jets dropped bombs onto the adjacent Casa Rosada, the presidential palace. Most of the bombs missed their targets and landed in the streets.
1: Within hours, the attempted coup came to a screeching halt as those involved surrendered. However, their actions resulted in the deaths of several hundred civilians.
0: Even worse, it gave Peronists ammunition to retaliate. That evening, as the city picked itself up, a mob of angry Peronists stormed and burned 12 churches across Buenos Aires.
1: Though the Catholic Church hadn't been involved in the coup attempt, the Peronists didn't care. They needed a scapegoat, and the outspoken church was the enemy of the moment.
0: Peron was horrified by the bloodshed. Ever since he'd witnessed the aftermath of the Spanish Civil War, he'd sworn to himself that he'd never do anything to bring that kind of violence to Argentina.
1: The president realized that he was going to have to create peace. He needed to play the role of the mediator and hoped that the various factions that opposed him would trust him.
0: Because if they didn't, Argentina was heading towards a civil war, and there was no guarantee that Perón would come out on top.
1: Coming up, Perón faces a coup he can't beat.
0: Now, back to the story.
1: In the summer of 1955, Juan Perón was struggling to keep his control in Argentina. His power contest with the Catholic Church had escalated into violence and had gotten Perón himself excommunicated.
0: Meanwhile, his political and military opponents had capitalized on the president's weakness to renew attacks against him and even launch a failed coup. Perón knew he needed to do something to pull the country back from the edge of civil war.
1: On July 15th, Perón gave a speech announcing that the so-called Peronist Revolution had ended it was time for the country to come together and restore full civil rights to all Argentines. As such, he even opened up the state radio to his political opponents, all of whom took his olive branch sincerely and advocated for an end to hostilities.
0: But the church wasn't so willing to forgive and forget. Argentina's Catholic leadership continued to rail against the regime, stirring up their congregations.
1: Similarly, left-wing students and other anti peronist activists refused to be placated, and within weeks of Perón's July speech, they returned to the streets and started getting into fights with the police. Also, an assassination plot against Perón was discovered.
0: Perón was furious. He tried to make a peace offering, but if they wanted to play this game, he could play it too.
1: On the morning of August 31, 1955, knowing it would rouse his base, Perón told the Peronist Party that he would be resigning as president. It was obvious to nearly everyone that he was not actually resigning, since he didn't tender his resignation to Congress.
0: Still, the proclamation had the desired effect. That evening, his supporters flooded the streets and rallied to see him speak at the Casa Rosada.
1: The crowd demanded that Perón change his mind about resigning. Their very presence in the streets of Buenos Aires was proof of his popularity.
0: Perón had intended to use the rally to show off his negotiating power. However, he fed off the crowd's energy and instead gave voice to the anger both he and they felt. In an improvised speech, Perón did something he had never publicly done before. He called for violence against his enemies. He swore that when one of our people falls, five of theirs will fall.
1: Even Peronists who had backed him throughout the recent unrest were horrified and several of his ministers resigned. And for a handful of loyal army officers, it was the final straw. It was time for a coup.
0: In the early hours of September 16, 1955, about two weeks after Perón's call for violence, insurgent military units seized cities and garrisons across Argentina. By the time the sun came up, almost every major city except Buenos Aires was held by anti-Perón forces.
1: Over the next two days, Perón's loyal and superior forces battled against the anti-Perónists. It appeared this coup would end up like the others, a failure.
0: But the naval leaders weren't willing to lose again. They ordered warships to hover around Buenos Aires and, more importantly, patrol near an oil refinery. If Perón didn't surrender, the warships would bomb the refinery and parts of the capital.
1: To prove they weren't messing around, a ship blew up several docks and oil tanks near the refinery.
0: Perón froze, not sure what to do. His greatest successes came when he was able to cast himself as a unifier and a champion of the Argentine people. Any choice he made now would alienate a large swath of the country, including his own supporters.
1: So Perón passed the buck. He put the Minister of War, General Franklin Lucero, in charge of finding a bloodless solution. If Perón needed to resign in order to avert war, then he would do so. When the coup leaders immediately demanded Perón's resignation, Lucero promptly agreed to it.
0: Perón was shocked. He hadn't actually anticipated having to resign. He'd just offered that as a bargaining tactic.
1: But it was too late. It was obvious that these coup leaders weren't going to back down. And if Perón stayed and fought, it could send Argentina into civil war.
0: So, on September 19, 1955, Juan Perón resigned. He immediately sought asylum at the Paraguayan embassy and left for Paraguay that very day. After nine years as president, Juan Perón was now in exile.
1: The Liberating Revolution, as the coup became known, became an indictment on all things Peronism.
0: Military officials banned the Peronist party, attacked Evita's legacy, and arrested Peronist officials. It became clear that this new regime was doing nothing to heal the divisions of the years.
1: While Argentina continued to flounder in turmoil, the deposed dictator lived a life of luxury. In his mind, he knew Argentina would come begging for him again. One day, he would make his triumphant return, and he would do it with his new bride by his side, 30-year-old Maria Estela Martinez, better known as Isabel.
0: In the meantime, Perón spent his exile hopping around Latin America and Spain. He held court, attracting aspiring politicians of all stripes who wanted his blessing. He weighed in on Argentine politics from afar, regularly giving interviews to the international press. He even managed to get his papal excommunication lifted.
1: Throughout it all, Perón's deputies made sure his specter loomed over Argentina. As new military coups brought new regimes, they were inevitably compared to Perón, and almost all came up short in one way or another.
0: Argentina's problems worsened due to the international violent revolutions in the 1960s and early 70s. Far-left militant Marxist groups wanted to overthrow the government and revive Perón's pro-worker reforms.
1: At the same time, far-right neo-fascist groups wanted to stamp out any trace of communism and reinstate a populist dictator. Argentina was more divided than ever.
0: But by the early 1970s, the people were tired of the upheaval and violence. The last time things had been relatively peaceful was under Perón. His tenure may have been repressive, but he had always preached unity, even if he hadn't always practiced it. Perhaps he was the solution they needed.
1: It helped, too, that his form of charismatic but vague populism had left the door open for interpretation. Both the right and the left, and everyone in between, could claim Perón as their representative.
0: Even the military was beginning to see the exiled president as the only viable option to stabilize Argentina.
1: By 1972, 17 years after his ouster, the current military regime was negotiating for Perón's return, but not
0: as president. So Perón bent the rules. His hand-picked representative, Hector Campera, ran for president in his place. Perón only agreed to return if and when Campera won.
1: Campera won the March 1973 election. Perón made his triumphant return after the inauguration in June. After nearly two decades in exile, 77-year-old Juan Perón was home in Argentina. Unfortunately, his homecoming didn't go quite as planned.
0: Millions of people, most of them leftist Peronists, streamed out to the airport to see their beloved leader. During the celebration, right-wing militant groups started firing into the crowds.
1: What had been a celebratory, family-friendly affair quickly turned into a nightmare. At least 13 people were killed with over 350 injured, though many believe the number to be much higher.
0: Perón insisted that the violence would end once he was back in power. As the great unifier, he'd be able to calm things down and make everyone realize they were all on the same side, Perón's side.
1: The Argentine people wanted to believe him. After 18 years away, Perón had become a mythical savior in their minds.
0: To pave the way for Perón's return to the presidency, Campera resigned in July and new elections were called for in September. Naturally, Perón accepted his party's presidential nomination and as his running mate, Perón chose his wife, Isabel. Two Perones were better than one.
1: And on September 23, 1973, Juan Perón was overwhelmingly elected for a third time.
0: But the honeymoon barely lasted. Two days after Perón's victory, the head of the Peronist Workers' Union was assassinated. Left-wing Peronists were blamed, and a wave of sectarian violence followed throughout the year. By early
1: 1974, it had become clear that Perón's attempt to play both sides had failed. Right-wing death squads attacked leftist Peronists, and a right-wing police coup in the city of Córdoba seemed to have been backed by the federal government.
0: But, as far-right violence rose, all Perón did was denounce and condemn, but never called for it to stop. There was a lack of energy in his voice when it came to even attempting to bring unity to the left and right.
1: And much of that lack of energy was due to the fact that the aging Peron was sick. In May, he came down with a chest infection that left him bedridden. The next month, he suffered several heart attacks. Recognizing the need for a more active executive, Peron temporarily signed over the presidency to Isabel.
0: On July 1st, 1974, Juan Perón suffered one more heart attack and died. He was 78 years old.
1: Argentina went into mourning. The divisions of recent months were temporarily put on hold so that everyone could grieve for their lost leader. When Peronist leaders suggested that Isabel continue as president, no one disagreed. After all, Harón himself had made her president, so it seemed the best way to continue his regime.
0: But within a matter of days, the extremist groups returned to their terrorist activities. And this time, there was no strongman figure to at least pretend to be the mediator.
1: The 43-year-old Isabel had no political experience beyond her husband and relied entirely on a Rasputin-like former policeman named Jose Lopez Rega to tell her what to do. The country quickly descended into deadly chaos, and a military coup led by General Jorge Rafael Videla deposed her in 1976. Argentina once more fell under a military dictatorship.
0: Despite the Perón's disappointing end, the myth of Juan Perón continued to loom large in Argentina. His strongman politics, his quest for absolute power, and his willingness to go after opponents paved the way for the dictators who followed him, both in Argentina and across South America.
1: Even today, his legacy persists. Argentina's contemporary Justicialist Party is the same party that Perón founded, and it continues to be just as fractured as it was during his time.
0: Without its charismatic leader, the party has often struggled to find what it represents, populism, nationalism, both. The only thing that everyone has ever seemed able to agree on is their idolizing of Perón, which was frankly, all that Perón himself ever truly stood for. Thanks for listening to Dictators. Next week, we cross the Atlantic and head to Spain as we begin our dive into Francisco Franco.
1: Among the many sources we used, we found own, a Biography by Joseph A. Page extremely helpful to our research. You can find all episodes of Dictators and all other Spotify originals from Parcast free on Spotify.
0: We'll see you next time.
1: Dictators is a Spotify original from Parcast. It is executive produced by Max Cutler, sound design by Michael Motion, with production assistance by Ron Shapiro, Carly Madden, and Isabella Way. This episode of Dictators was written by Kate Thorman, with writing assistance by Nora Battelle, fact-checking by Adriana Romero, and research by Chelsea Wood. Dictators stars Kate Leonard and Richard Rossner.